You're listening to Dig in the Dirt, the allotment show with Russ and Jake. And welcome to the show. I'm Russ and Jake is with me as well from his allotment down in Derbyshire. Are you there, Jake? I'm here loud and clear, Russ. Great to Great. be with you again. Good to hear you, Jake. And uh, we've got a very, very special show. This is our last show, of course, of the year. And uh, if you remember, Jake, on our last show last month, I was talking about uh, a film that I discovered on Amazon the Prime, a film called A Garden Experience Growing Organic. I don't know if you remember that. That. Yeah, it's fabulous. I've, I've watched it several times. Excellent. Well, I'm pleased to say that we have got Karen Stith from the Bear Creek Garden Association, which runs the community garden that was featured in the film. And we've got the filmmakers themselves, Nancy Bentley and John Atkinson. And welcome to the show, Karen, Nancy and John. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's it's fantastic, and thank you so much for uh, for joining us on this show. And uh, as I just mentioned, last month was kind of the last month where we have our regular garden shows on the television. And as part of this show, we normally give a little rundown on what people can see on the BBC and all the other channels, etc. But of course, that had finished finishes about October. So um, Jake and I have been looking at uh, YouTube and Netflix and Amazon, of course, and that's where we came across uh, this fantastic uh, film. And it's a lovely escape for, for half an hour, I've got to say. Just life over there in Colorado Springs of your garden association and your community garden. As I said, welcome welcome to the show. We're so very first, happy to be here and to join you. No problem yes. at all. So first of all, can you just give us a paint a picture for us of where your community garden is uh, and how it all came about? Just a little brief history of your community garden there. Well, Colorado Springs is a city that sits right at the foot of Pikes Peak. We're really very close to the foothills and the peak. And our community garden is located on a two-acre space in a, a fairly large regional park on the west side of Colorado Springs. So we're quite close to the foothills. A garden that is gardened by people in largely in the surrounding neighborhoods. Um, but we also have people who drive fairly significant distance to be at the garden if they don't have anything available close to where they live. Beautiful mm-hmm. scenery, isn't there? The background of the film there with the mountains. Wonderful. Yes, it really is. The, the garden is um, 45 years old, coming up in, in July. And it was originally started by the Parks Department that runs the, the regional park there. Yeah. Their original idea was to have a garden where poor people could come and grow vegetables to help out with their, their food and their budget. Uh, and in fact, there's a history of that space having been at one time a poor farm where people could actually come and live who were down on their luck. So yeah. the uh, garden area has been gardened or used as dairy farm um, for over 100 years. But at the time that the garden was started in 1976, the uh, area had not been gardened. It was just, just plain flat um, yeah. soil in a valley. So the soil is quite rich. And they, uh, the county parks department started the garden. Tried it for a year, made it very cheap, inexpensive to come and garden, and they just didn't get much response. So the next year they opened it to the public, and that's when some of our gardeners uh, started arriving. Um, After about eight years of that, the 
county decided that it was taking them an awful lot of time to run that garden. And long story short, they turned it over to the gardeners. Um, they were going to close it. And the gardeners said, you can't do that. Yeah. It's, it's just a wonderful place. Please let us run it. And we promise you it will look nice. It won't be messy. It won't have lots of signs and scarecrows and compost piles and things that make it look unsightly in a public park. So the Garden Association has now been running it for 45 years. And it's a little nonprofit corporation. Nobody gets paid. Everybody has to chip in to do volunteer work. All run by volunteers? Yes. We have a board of directors and uh, we do our vet very best to keep our good gardeners. And sometimes if we've got somebody that's just not working out, we move them along and don't let them come back. We do have that power and the county will not override us. They give us complete control. So you're pretty strict there. Well, we've got 200 people gardening in uh, a fairly compact area there, (laughs) and you have to be. Yeah, the one thing struck me, actually, and uh, I don't know what you thought, Jake, but the the very first thing was the fact that you had no sheds there. That's right. Our English allotments, typically there's sheds and uh, well jake what have you got on your your old allotment well i think you still got it haven't you in uh, down there in derbyshire uh, you got your sheds your yeah. greenhouses a caravan yeah, i've got, I've got <laughs> yeah i've got five sheds a caravan and three greenhouses so it really looks they look very different I, i've seen allotments yeah. as i've traveled around europe on the train i noticed quite often there were community gardens or allotment gardens along the tracks and uh, they're they're much more um, built up looking than ours is. We we have this aesthetic issue. We simply have to keep it looking pretty neat and tidy, yeah. because yeah. it was almost closed by the county commissioners once before when they decided it looked like an eyesore. So our gardeners have to bring their tools with them and take mm-hmm. them home when they go. And we have no sheds on the uh, in the garden. They are allowed to leave a hose and a watering can. And there are wheelbarrows there, right, uh, available, uh, tucked tucked away in a corner for a while. So that's that's our accommodation to making things a little easier for people. Average size of a plot in this garden is 20 by 40 feet. Isn't that right, Karen? That's right. And I did a little conversion. 20 by 40 feet is 75 square meters. So compared to our allotments, Jake, that that's they're, they're smaller plots, aren't they? Uh, yeah, but what something I did like on the how intensely the ground was cultivated and the amount of crops that would uh, that are grown on those size plots is really impressive a lot to take care of and you can rent a half plot or you can rent two you know you can rent more or less we have one person who's grandfathered in at three plots but there's so much demand for space yes. each year that we don't want people to take more than that because we want to enable more people to be in the garden yeah As of last year, for the very first time, we uh, had a long waiting list and we managed by June to get everybody in. Other people changed their plans because of COVID or whatever and everybody got a plot. But I think in the future, we may have a waiting list. That's a big problem over here, actually. I think most uh, allotments across the country have a fairly big waiting list. Is that uh, that true of you, uh, Jake, in Derbyshire? Uh, Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it can take years sometimes. Years, yeah. Yes, a- a- absolutely. So you've got uh, about 200 people on your allotment there? Yeah, we, we rent to 120 separate individuals. And then when you count the family members and friends that they bring in, to the garden, we're up over 200 on our email list. 
We communicate wow. with everybody by email because it yeah. is a big group. And I guess the majority come back the following year, really? You know, not really. Last year, we had 43 new people signing up for plots. Okay. And there'd been okay. 120 the year before. So that's a significant turnover. I'm wondering this year if we'll have a little less turnover because there's been such an explosion of interest in gardening and specifically vegetable gardening that has been occasioned by the pandemic that um, I, we had people getting down there much more faithfully. We didn't have people letting the garden dry out for a few days and then coming back and saying, oh dear, and giving up. And, and that watering, of course, is very important at high, a high dry altitude. But we didn't have the dropouts last summer that we did in the past. Yes. And uh, yeah. of course, when people go back to work and they're not sequestered at home anymore, then maybe they won't have time for the garden again, as, uh, as perhaps they, it was the case before. Here, with the pandemic, we had so many new gardeners, you know, in their own homes, in their backyards, as you would say, and on, on allotments and, and even just general community places, mm -hmm. really. And it was very, very difficult to get supplies. You know, uh, uh, we recorded a program a couple of months ago from a, a local garden center and they just couldn't get plants, they couldn't get seeds, they couldn't get all the compost. Uh, you know, the whole supply chain was was affected. Uh, and people were just trying to grow things in anything they could get hold of, you, you know, just to get started. And, and of course, on our television here, we were inundated with programs to get people to garden again. And there was, like you said, a massive, massive take-up really of new gardeners which is great and the one thing that struck me about your film is the community there really and how the community works together and all the characters really that you show and I, I guess there's many many more but uh, the characters in, in in the film really came out well that was the joy for John and I as we did uh, the filming of the uh, of those gardeners getting to meet the huge variety of, uh, of people and it was it was delightful and we had a challenging time deciding on who we had so much footage you know deciding well who was going to tell the story of this um interesting place and how we would convey uh what it means to each and every one of those individuals and some would come with their babies strapped to them and yeah that's um, right little ones running around the garden and and others were were um, obviously a, a retired and had been there for many many years but there's a great uh, sense of congeniality and sharing and perhaps the openness I I don't know without the all those sheds I won't not that I'm trying to disparage those sheds but um, <laughs> you know there's just this kind it's a huge open space and so people wander around and I think Karen and the board members encourage gardeners to get to know their neighbors on yeah. uh, the the plots and and uh, sharing materials information I'd say, Karen, uh, some of the turnover in, in the community garden might just be because uh, there are a lot of new people that move into this rather rugged area and are shocked when they can't get their backyard gardens uh, working. And I yes. think the community garden offers so much uh, talent and expertise that yeah. after people have gardened there for a couple of years, they, they say, well, I think I've got it and uh, they move on and uh, can garden more successfully. Well, yeah. and Karen, don't you have an intentional program of uh, policy of pairing up uh, new first-time gardeners with experienced gardeners? It's not really formal, but we very much encourage uh, the previous year's gardeners 
to embrace the new ones. We, we put the name tags on the plots of the new gardeners, uh, just, the, just the new gardeners, yeah. so everybody knows who they are. And we try very hard to get acquainted with them and offer help. Again, because our climate is so high and dry, you, yes. you've got to be out there watering. Yeah, and yeah. if you miss a few days, you the plants can suffer badly. So when people want to take a vacation, it's pretty important that they've made friends with somebody who's going to trade some some help there on watering. Yeah, uh, you I, can I, also bring your next door neighbor over and ask them to do it. That there's no prohibition on that. But mostly the gardeners help each other out. And I'd like to comment on the the turnover in one way. It's the turnover is not because people get annoyed with us or think the garden isn't being run well or anything yeah. like that. We have a very peaceful and, and cooperative atmosphere there, but we have a very transient community here in some ways because we have several military bases in Colorado Springs, yes. and the Army and the Air Force move people in and out a lot, yes. and a lot of them are young couples. If they aren't moving out because of, uh, of a job change, a military change, there are people who change their jobs, who have different life situations, somebody's suddenly pregnant, and they yeah. say, oh no, I can't do it this coming summer because I'm, I'm going to have a new baby. Yeah. Other of these young people who live in apartments around the area move into their first home and then have some space at home. But I would like to point out that a lot of people who garden there could garden at home. I have plenty of room at home to garden, but the soil is nowhere near as good. And I wouldn't have the community. And the yeah. community is really a, a, a great satisfaction. People share seeds and they share tips and they share personal stories. And Nancy and John really saw some of that. There are people out there who, for whom the garden kind of helps pull them through some bad times. That, that's right. And, and, and that really, uh, I don't know what you thought, Jake, really came uh, uh, across. And I think that's it with allotments anywhere, that it's just the diversity of people and their backgrounds. And you get on your plot and you just forget uh, and are not interested, perhaps, what people do for a living. You're just there to grow produce and uh, the fresh air and that community spirit, isn't it, really? From, from the film, actually, there was a couple of guys that stood out for me. And that was, uh, I think his name was Robert, Robert Wiggins. And yes. I think he summed it all up. It's all about community around food. And and he just struck me as a great character. And also there was a um, a guy on the on the film as well, and he was growing uh, brown beans. I think he called them. I wasn't quite sure what they were, but that were brought over originally with his ancestors back in the eighteen. 18- hundreds and that line of seeds are just being kept going from one generation to the next and to the next and that was great to capture i think well russell this is john for nancy and i the the thrill of of doing the filming was we decided to do a documentary film and we didn't know what we would find and yeah. so we would just go out and walk around the garden and karen gave us badges and we'd introduce people and they'd say well do you have a garden yeah we garden at home we're not gardening here and then they would tell us their life stories. And the last person you met, his name is Bill Carlson, and his ancestors emigrated from Sweden in 1881, and they brought with them some Swedish brown beans. So since then, although that, that first small family of immigrants have planted those beans and then held some back each year to plant the next year, and they've passed that down. So um, 1881 to 2018, <laughs> um, that's what, 140 years, we found, we discovered Bill and his wife one day 
planting these beans and we yeah. said well tell us about your garden and so he told us his his story it was uh it was really touching and it's really the same those beans were literally uh the the genetics of those were at least a couple hundred years old absolutely yeah I, I, great story i, I yeah. think i'd like to underscore what john just said about how we happened to make the film and that was we we wandered around with our camera and our microphones and um, would stop and ask people uh, really the story of their lives, you know, how, and so many of the older gardeners said, oh, I remember when I was a youngster and my father had me out working in the fields and I hated it and I, and, and then they would stop and reflect and say, but you know, now I love it. <laughs> And so, um, you know, we heard story after story after story, and so many of them were so touching. And there was such a sense of honesty um, that we were uh, just really impressed with that, and a love. I don't know how else you can say it, and a, and a, and a connection with nature. And um, we're just sorry we, we couldn't have doubled the size of the film because there was just... Uh, there were so many touching moments uh, from many of the gardeners. Why are you putting your hands in the dirt? Uh, that's such a universal. Well, and, and Russell, you mentioned earlier uh, a fellow named Robert Wiggins. I yes. was out just by myself one afternoon. I said to Nancy, oh, I've got to go out and see what's in the garden and went around with a camera and came across Robert, who's um, a young African-American male who um, – you might expect him to be a football player or a basketball player or something. And there he was with his wife and his two children just working away like crazy. Started talking to me. Well, he grew up in the South and had a okay. tradition with, with agriculture and was very much committed to food and was working with his church to grow the food on the plot and give it away to the members and also to the food pantry. And um, like you said, it's about the community, not just around building a community around around food and uh, how blessed um, he was and we all were to have yeah. have the produce. And an interesting side note, uh, uh, Karen, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Robert has gone on now to Colorado State University to get a degree, uh, uh, associate degree or a four, I'm not sure whether it's a two-year or four-year degree, so that he can continue this kind of work of advocating for food and connecting with, with nature and, and the community and, and gardening and bringing that back to to build the caring communities around food. Uh, but he was such a lovely guy. So, oh, I'm dead pleased he's gone to um, gone to university well, and, and, and put that to great, great use. John, you mentioned there about, um, about the church and i think jake you had a question about the food bank i don't quite know what what you call it over there the um food rescue i think you call it don't you yeah yes. one, of the, one of the things i loved in the film was that uh, along with that goes in hand in hand with that community spirit was the food was being grown for the food rescue and also for the zoo and uh, it's so inspiring could you tell us a bit more about that sure uh, for a number of years, we set aside six full plots and called them the charity plots. And our intention was to deliver produce to the zoo and to a number of different charities around town. What we found was that six plots to manage by volunteers who already had their own gardens was a significant burden on the people who stepped up to do that. So a number of years ago, we cut that back to only two and we encourage all the gardeners to plant a row for the zoo or plant a row for food rescue. And instead of delivering to those places, they pick up. 
So twice a week, one, one day a week, the zoo sends a truck down to pick up food. And another day, the Colorado Springs Food Rescue people do. And that is a, um, a charity where people can come and get produce for free. And they, they take it to poor neighborhoods. Yeah. So everybody has a chance to participate in, in giving to the community. And the zoo connection has been a particularly wonderful one. We have three different gardeners, longtime gardeners, who are docents at the zoo, which means they're part of the volunteer cadre of people who walk around with school children and show them and describe what they're seeing. And the zoo is very appreciative. We give them thousands of pounds of produce every year because a lot of what they like to get, like pumpkins and squash, um, they also like cornstalks. You know, they, the bears yeah. love the cornstalks. There's, there's film on our website, not film, still photo, on our website of a bear playing with a great big old cornstalk in a pool. And <laughs> Brilliant. So we, we have this very loving connection with the zoo and try to get people to be generous. I'd like to emphasize that point that Karen just made, that the, and the zoo people, when they come to pick up, were so articulate about that. It's more than just the calories. It's an emotional and psychological enrichment for the yeah. animals that are in that uh, environment of, of a zoo. It gives them some something different and unusual, depending on the time of the year to interact with. And I'm going to give you an interesting anecdote that happened. Was Karen was it two years ago? We had a ravaging. We get hailstorms that come off the mountains and with the yeah. with our thunderstorms in the in the summer. And two years ago, we had a ferocious hailstorm that um, hit the zoo and actually killed a couple of uh, birds and um, and injured a number of animals. And so the gardeners stepped up, and uh, I'm not sure how many pounds they contributed, but they drove in their cars to deliver food to the zoo animals, which I thought was uh, just such a beautiful act uh, showing yeah. of the connection. And I'm sure the animals appreciated it greatly. <laughs> Definitely. That's wonderful. I bet they do. I have a funny little story for also relating to the zoo. A few years ago, we put out word that there were some diabetic monkeys at the zoo for whom um, turnips would be very welcome. So could we have a few turnips? And we, we, the zoo was awash in turnips. There <laughs> were more turnips <laughs> than they could use. So it's, it's very satisfying to have them be that connection. People, by the way, are not allowed to sell their produce. You know, I've had people ask if they could grow flowers for their small home flower arranging business. And the answer is no. no you know, it has no. to be for your consumption or for giving away to your neighbors. But you yeah. can't set up a stand at the farmer's market with what you grow at the, no, at the garden I, because this is a non-profit organization, so yeah, we can't have and, people profiting. And that's the same over here, Karen, as well. Um, I presume that's the same with you, isn't it, Jake? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah there's a wonderful article on Wikipedia about allotment gardening in, in England, in, in the UK. Yes. And it does mention that, that uh, you know, it's intended for home use. It's intended. It's really intended to support people who need sustenance. Yes. But I think in your case, as in our case, it's it's developed to be a more of a community of people who aren't necessarily needy people, but people who just love doing it. That's it, and that's Definitely, how it all yeah. started. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the the food that people are growing, they're sort of donating, you know, a row of of their their produce to um, to the community, really, and and food banks and. Uh, and over here in the UK, food banks are a massive, 
a massive thing now, uh, and, and especially this year, they're under a lot of uh, a lot of pressure. And um, we've got on on my allotment here, we've probably got about five or six raised beds where people can plant things. Uh, whatever you like, and they're there, and they're free for anybody to come up and, and pick what they like. And then just down the lane on the main road, at the end of the allotments, we just have a big basket, and you can drop anything in there. There's a big sign, kind of help yourself, or this is available now. And Do, do you have That's anything good. like that, Jake, uh, on, on your plots at all? Uh, not at the moment, but it's something I'll bring up at the next committee meeting, definitely. And there's such a good feeling of giving away something that you yes. toiled over and, and you're proud of, and you know that it's going to be appreciated. Absolutely. It's kind of fun to watch first-year gardeners try to get rid of their zucchini. Everybody <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> yes. always has too much zucchini. We always grow too many. That, that's the thing. What do you do with them all? Actually, And actually, yeah. Karen, I've got a question. For you, uh, I saw on the film all the peppers that you grow. What on earth do you do with them all? Well, I'm, I'm fascinated with peppers as a, a, a plant that has a lot of variety. And yeah. I'm not interested in the sweet bell peppers that you get in the grocery store. Everything I grow is the more spicy peppers. Yep. Uh, we're very close to New Mexico here, and we've spent a lot of time in Santa Fe. The food there is based on a lot of that very spicy, wonderful red chili sauce. So I harvest all of those and bring them home and make little batches of red chili pepper sauce. And I freeze some of the green ones and I give away a lot. But the pepper plants are so different. I mean, I I think they're they're like tomatoes. You know, you you grow tomato plants and some of them are going to want to grow very tall and rangy and others are going to want to stay short and compact. And, and with peppers, it's a, a bigger variety than that. The, yes. the flowers are different colors. The plant habits are different. It's, they're, they're a very absorbing plant, I find. I think I'm it addicted was. to well, peppers. Well, it looked impressive, actually. There's the sheer range and volume of peppers that you, uh, that you were growing there. Incredible. Well, Karen, tell Russell and Jake how many different pepper plants you actually grow. Oh, I think last year I had 80, and those represented maybe 20 different varieties. Some of them I had more of, and some of it was just one or two. God. And I'm always getting something from somebody else. Yeah. And all I should mention, in the spring, some of our gardeners, not as many as I would wish, but some of our gardeners do start plants under lights at home because we have a six-month growing season. Yeah. And the beginning yeah. of that six-month growing season is pretty darn chilly. You know, you have to, you can't put peppers out until the end of May. No. Uh, or tomatoes or squash or anything that's really tender. Yeah. But we open up usually in late April, and people will grow plants under lights and bring them out around that Memorial Day, end of May time. And we have a plant and tool sale. And the purpose of the plant and tool sale is to raise money for the goats that we bring in every year to uh, eat weeds in the area of the park around the garden. So gardeners bring their old tools, anything that they don't need anymore, rolls of wire, all kinds of stuff. And then the gardeners who have extra plants, you know, they grow extra for this purpose and bring them. And that's where I also pick up some peppers and tomatoes. I should say a few words about the goats. We started... Yeah, uh, of course, they featured uh, at the end of the film there, didn't they? Yes, they did. I was very glad that they they did something with that because that has been going on for 22 years out of our 45. And it got started back in the late 90s when... The county started spraying herbicide fairly close to our fence. They are obliged to control certain noxious weeds in the park. 
but on the other hand, like like thistle or hemlock, uh, that are really invasive in this environment, but and they can't go out and hoe them by hand. And so the woman who was running the garden at the time, Charmaine Nyman, for whom the garden is now named, saw on Good Morning America, a morning news program, that there was this young woman who had just graduated from agriculture school and with a degree in weed management, weed and land management um, here in Colorado. And she had decided she was going to uh, put together a herd of weed eating goats and travel with them year round. And she came, we were one of her very first customers and we are now her oldest customer by far. She wow. comes once a year with a herd of about 500 cashmere goats. And she loves the cashmeres because they are really intelligent animals. Yeah. She doesn't grow them for the wool or the meat or the milk, but she does breed her herd. She has some belly goats among the herd that, that stay at the a little farm operation they have since they wouldn't travel with the herd. But then she's got this herd of 500 animals that um, she moves around. And in fact, over the years, she's developed her business. Her son is in it with her now. And last year, there were, I think, four herds of 500 that she had control over. Um, they got stranded in the fires out in western Colorado. They, they couldn't get trucks in to get them out of where they were. And they actually were in very serious danger in one of the fires. One of the herds was kind of encircled by fire and had to do a big run down the mountain. So wow. she tells a very dramatic story about that, which I really should put on our website. It's, okay. She is really a veteran, and, and we keep hoping that she'll keep going. Yeah. But we raise $10,000 every year. We don't put a lot of our, our garden budget into that. We, that's, we promised when we started this that we would never raise the plot fees yeah. in order to make sure the goats got paid, that the goats would be separate. And so we raise money every year. This year we paid her $10,100 for 10 days of grazing right after the garden closed. And as dry as it is, it wasn't as necessary as usual. We're no. in a terrible drought here. Wow. And there was enough food for the goats, but honestly, you know, the weeds weren't too much of a problem. But that's okay. This is a ritual that we go through, and she's, we support her, and she helps to keep the county from spraying herbicides anywhere near us. Because as long as we do this, the county will honor that agreement, yeah. that they oh, won't spray chemicals around great. the garden. So that's a lot of money to raise then, isn't it, every year? $10,000? It is. Wow. It is. We have some, some businesses that give us some money. The yeah. bank gives us some money. The garden center does. The parks department gives us $1,000 every year, which yes. is very welcome. And the right. community loves having the goats. I mean, it, it, the newspapers always say in the fall, the goats are here. And so uh, people will bring their children. School visits uh, will occur with children putting up signs about, you know, be kind to the goats. You keep your dog on a leash <laughs> around the goats. So great. it's always quite an event when the goats come to town. Yeah. And, and yep. one of your fundraisers, this was a new phrase to me when we spoke briefly the um, uh, last week or so. And you call it potluck. Is that right? Potluck? Oh, well, actually, it isn't a fundraiser. It's a community builder. Oh, and right. okay. uh, all the way back in the garden, we've gotten together in the summer for a, a outdoor picnic where everybody brought food. And okay. potluck simply refers to the fact that all the people bring the food. You bring food to share. And uh, the usual request is bring a main dish for eight people and either a salad or dessert, yeah. one or the other. And we always have a great deal of food. 
A few years ago, we started doing a winter potluck as well, and we do it in February indoors. But with the pandemic, we yes. had to miss it last year. Yeah, yeah. But that is, is um, we don't use it as a fundraiser. I, I, if people ah. will just bring food and be sociable, that's Okay, so it's just like a, a community get-together then, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just for the gardeners and their helpers and families. Oh, and, that's uh, great. And, and we don't have 200 people at a potluck. It's typically around 50 will show up. And Russell, that potluck is an, I don't know, I guess I thought it was more than just an American term, but it, it just, uh, it's an old uh, American term, meaning just bring something in a pot to, to yeah. <laughs> or a dish, you know. And so we, when someone says it's, you know, come to this event, it's a potluck. Oh, okay. That means you bring something. You know, and you'll you be lucky bring. if you like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, have you come across that before, Jake? Uh, it was new to me, that's all. I've not really heard of it. We have a similar sort of thing that we call fuddles, where people bring a dish or a dessert. But, um, yeah, I love that idea of potluck and the, the way it brings the community together. That's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And We're learning a lot it. from you. Jake, what did you refer to your sharing? We call it a fuddle, where people bring different food and everybody shares the food. Like F O O D A L L. Yes. Oh, okay. Is that a well, Yorkshire thing? Very strange thing? word. <laughs> is that a Yorkshire well, thing, I... Jake, or a, a Derbyshire thing? Yorkshire and Derbyshire, I think. Oh, is it a faddle? That's a new one on me as well. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, I I also think that we mustn't forget the animals that um, come to the garden, uh, and that is also part of the delight of being a gardener out in this area and that is yeah. of the birds and the and the wild critters that we have out there. It is. I think Jake had some questions on the wildlife there I think uh, didn't you Jake? Yeah just a quick question it looked like there was an amazing array of wildlife there are any of the wildlife dangerous and if so has anybody ever been bitten or hurt? First about the the number the, the, the different kinds of wildlife um you know, Nancy and I just, we love the outdoors and we love getting yeah. outdoors hiking and, and gardening. And that's one of the reasons that we like this garden, being in a park and, and near the near the mountains. Like, we were able to film several different kinds of birds and um, a rabbit. And then, of course, the, the dreaded grasshopper. Um, yeah. That was the, a two-striped, spur-throated, adult and nymph grasshopper. And uh, we, we came across a, a, bull, a gopher snake. I don't know whether it was just snake. that year. Some people call it a bull snake and some, some people call it a gopher snake, but it would yeah. eat the, the little rodents. And then uh, various kinds of regular honeybees and bumblebees. And, and then a, a lot of butterflies were there. And um, people were very respectful. The killdeer would uh, killdeer built his nest in, a, in an area where somebody had, had built uh, or had planted uh, corn and so he just was careful to garden around that not to scare the mother away from the nest you got that in the film as, as well as their, as well as their sounds now in, in terms of anything being dangerous uh this is an area where we have mountain lions up in the mountains and uh when we were filming uh a couple of gardeners uh hurried up to us and and um they had taken pictures of tracks and uh, this gentleman's wife was a, a zoo docent, and he said, oh, we've checked, and that really is a mountain lion uh, track. I don't believe, Karen, there's ever been an incidence where anyone has actually seen them, and, um, and not even the deer. The deer could certainly lope over the fence yes. very yeah, yeah. easily, but uh, Well, they certainly the residential areas nearby will get a lot of deer, 
and bears and then an occasional mountain lion, but that's not been a problem in the garden that, that I know of. And there are, there are certainly coyotes in the area too, but uh, Karen, I don't think mm. anyone's ever mentioned that. Well, the coyotes pose a particular problem for people who walk their dogs in this park. Uh, the park is sort of a wild park. It's not groomed. It's not, not mowed down to you know grassy green lawns or anything like that. So um, people have to be warned that there are several dens of coyotes very close to the garden. But right. don't see them much. They're, they're shy, but they'll come out, they'll ambush a dog. It, is, it happens with some regularity. And the coyotes and the foxes do a good job of keeping things like rabbits down a bit, so we don't have a huge number of rabbits in the garden, although we have some. And we're really grateful for those bull snakes in the garden. That's, that's a fixture of the garden. We, we put up signs on the fence in the spring warning gardeners that if they see these snakes, they are not to take a shovel and kill them. This has happened, and we got so upset about it. But the gardener was frightened because the snake looked like a rattlesnake. Yeah. Right. Now, if you go yeah. up on a rocky hillside within you know, just a few hundred yards of where our garden is, you could expect that you might find rattlesnakes. They like rocky, dry, warm locations. Our garden is moist and flat and low, and we've never had an incident with a rattlesnake in the garden. No. But that yeah. is the single thing that you'd be most concerned about. Yes. You know, we, yeah. we also have black widow spiders in Colorado. And again, you, you, they like dry, warm places. They don't seem to show up in the garden. Yeah. So no, yeah. no casualties that way. And yeah. John, you, uh, you captured a great shot of a rabbit there in the film. Uh, how long did it take you to, uh, to capture that? I'd oh. like to say first, before John tells the story, um, that I spent a year running around the garden trying to capture shots of rabbits, and they were always scurrying underneath leaves. Or, um, and it was on one of our last days uh, that we went back to the garden to finish up and catch uh, some extra uh, shots. And John, go ahead and tell the rest of well, us. Well, the, the the rabbits we have here are they call cottontail rabbits, so they have this little furry white uh, white tail and yep. I did most of the editing for the film and we probably have we have 100 uh, hours if not more of, of film and audio uh, to, to go through and I've got at least an hour of Nancy taking pictures of the tail and the rabbit scurrying <laughs> under some leaf <laughs> or whatever which just wouldn't make very good footage and and we just wanted to get one more shot of a couple of gardeners weeding in, in, in time to some music that we, we had. So we took a metronome out and Nancy said, you know, played the metronome, okay, can you weed to this, to this pace? <laughs> and so I'm weeding and this mother and daughter, I'm filming them and I've got the camera set up and the daughter says, oh, look, there's a rabbit. And I just turned the, the wheel of the camera around. I didn't have to change the legs or anything. I just panned. turned and panned around. And there was the rabbit looking right in my face. It was. Yeah. And nibbling at a leaf. And I could see the leaf disappearing as he nipple. And I could never have gotten that shot in a million years if I would tried. So that was just one of those lucky synchronistic events that kind of shows the spirit of the garden that we were happy to keep in the film. But I, I will add that um, as a filmmaker, John was um, indefatigable at, at going out and, and catching wildlife, especially uh, Karen had mentioned to us uh, about the bluebird coming, uh, migrating through in the fall. That's right. And yes. um, so uh, I think John spent endless <laughs> hours 
setting up and waiting to see a bluebird on a fence post. And uh, that was also one of the filming challenges because we knew that there were all, there was, you know, all of this wildlife was out there and we happened to be there uh, shooting the day that that wonderful bull snake came by. And um, we have such great footage there of, of the snake, you know, just kind of, weaving its way towards us and um so it was just a matter of of being there and watching and listening and that's how we caught that's how john caught those those bluebirds that's for sure it is and and you don't realize do you the 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 hours that you must have spent capturing some of those moments you know some by accident but just going out there day after day or week after week trying to capture something like the bluebirds for example, that are just on the screen for a matter of seconds, aren't they, during the film, really? Well, as a filmmaker, we wanted to tell the story of the community garden. And it not only entailed history, but the people. And as they lived the garden through a whole season. So uh, we just had to be there from the time that they started planting until the garden closed at the very you know at the very end of the season and we had a friend who helped us with some additional filming and helped us with a drone we had to get special uh permission from the county to fly a drone we wanted the we wanted drone shots in each of the four seasons and uh strangely that winter we did not get much snow and because we had to get permission to fly the drone we had to guess when it was going to snow, and so that was uh, there. There were those some you know technical challenges like that. Well, I have to say that Nancy and John brought a joy to this project. I think it touched their spirits and their hearts because they already were gardeners and they're naturalists and they're bird watchers, yeah. and they just found so much to celebrate out there. And they're easy to talk to, yes. and they elicited personal comments from people that were really extraordinary. There's a man David named David Ridenour. He's been there a long time. He's a superb gardener. And David had quite an upset, health upset a few years ago. And he started talking to Nancy and John about that. And he, uh, after his heart attack, he lost a lot of weight and started walking long distances. And he said, if I didn't have this garden, I don't know what I would do. Yes. You know, this garden is my refuge and my salvation for for health and and for mental health as well. He said, if I were sitting in a nursing home, I'd be miserable. And he just teared up right on the film. Yeah, I remember and seeing I, that. And um, and Jake, and I think that's right, isn't it? There's there's a lot of emphasis on that over here in the UK about gardens and helping mental health and general well-being of people, isn't it? Really, absolutely. I I teach uh, horticulture at a school for young people with mental health issues and it's an absolutely invaluable thing for them to it helps them to be calm helps them to control their emotions it's such a special thing what one question i did have was i love it that the garden's all organic and i like to garden organic all the time how do you ensure that everything remains organic on on the plots? This is where we, we have to say we are volunteers. We don't have anybody who's paid to be out there every single day, all day. Yeah. So what we do is we try to make it organic without going nuts on the subject. 
you can buy plants in a nursery or buy seeds that are not organic and plant yeah. them in the garden, and that's okay. Yeah. What we're really concerned about is what you bring in for pest control yeah. and what you bring in for um, soil amendment. And we are fairly rigid about that. We don't want stuff that hasn't been bagged up and sold in a garden center. Yeah. You can't bring in leaves from your yard because very likely the city has sprayed those trees along the street to something we don't want. You yeah. can't make compost at home. And then once a year, we bring in a huge truckload of straw for people to use as mulch and then till it under at the end of the season. And the whole garden is tilled in the spring. And then most people do a little tilling at the end of the season as well. And then in the fall, we also bring in some compost and manure from uh, a local garden center that we trust. Yeah. And it comes in huge trucks, and we really encourage people to use those amendments to yeah. improve their plots. And if they do a, it isn't even how good a job they do gardening. It's whether they kind of get along with the community and don't disappear midsummer. But if they do okay, then they are entitled to have the same plot the following year, if if they want it, or they can move if they'd rather, if they'd like to move over near a friend. But what I find is that people, once they're assigned a particular spot, they could find it on a dark night with no moon. I mean, in, in the middle yeah. of a garden that where it's all been tilled up and you can't don't have paths or anything, they could walk right to it. There's a kind of human um, connection to soil. Yeah. And people will keep plots that are really in difficult locations. They're not the best plots, but nope, once they've got it, that's their plot. And many people have been improving the soil for so long that really it is, is beautiful soil out there. I, I must say how inspiring I found the whole film and the community spirit on the gardens. It's absolutely amazing. What I was going to ask you, uh, John, was uh, the closing credits. I'm one of these people in the cinema that uh, watch all the closing credits and I'm sat there while everybody's walking out of the cinema just seeing who's involved and who's doing what uh, and up came this um, uh, statement in the credits there maybe you will know it word for word but no gardeners were harmed during the making of this film if you want to carry on with exactly what it said there oh sure um, well part of doing the film yourself is you can have a little bit of fun with it and all the way through we were saving up photos to include in the, in the credits and so on. And I said, you know, Nancy, every time we see a film in a theater, it has this dedication uh, about no tobacco was placement. And no animals. Sort of stuff. <laughs> and then it has a dedication from the SPCA saying no animals were harmed in this film. And I said, well, we've got to have a credit at the, at the end that says no gardeners were harmed in the making of this film but many vegetables were consumed and numerous weeds expired. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, we took our literary license and we put that in at the, at the, uh, at the end of the film. Yes. And uh, we, we also, I think, want to just thank uh, Chip Taylor Communications because Chip, T they, uh, they're a yes. film distributor here out of New Hampshire and they, uh, I've known Chip, uh, he's, he, he's picked up another film and uh, Chip was wonderful. He picked up the film for distribution and and um, and made it available on Amazon Prime. And if um, you know you're a member, you can get it for I think one cent, <laughs> if anything. But um, that has been delightful. And I also wanted to add, Jake, that um, we have a group here in the United States called the Horticultural Therapy um, Association. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, if you're familiar with it, but we, um, I've 
uh, I've offered the film to them uh, because we did have a viewer see it and uh, she's a member and she was very excited about it. I don't know if it was ever shown there, but um, it just seems to me that after meeting so many of the gardeners and seeing how it how meaningful the garden has been in their in, in their mental health and their spiritual yeah. health um hopefully it does it, it does some good in 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 that way no i do want to mention you were talking about community one thing that surprised us was how many people brought their children out to garden and yeah, we yes. were captured two really sweet vignettes one with jake who was there with his mother and father early in the spring and he's maybe two years old, so he brought his little toy dinosaurs, and he had a trowel, and was burying his dinosaurs in the dirt. Jackson. While, Jackson. It was Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. Yes. Uh, burying his dinosaurs in the dirt while uh, mom and dad were burying the seeds. <laughs> and then suddenly mom turned over this worm, and so he had to go over and look at the worm, but he carefully walked on the path and not where the seeds were. And he proudly announced to his father as any two-year-old, as with all of his two-year-old expertise, that, Dad, this is a really big worm. <laughs> <laughs> For a two-year-old, so it would be. That had to go on the film, and the other, I think we finally got it in the outtakes, was another very young child who was there, and Mom and Dad had just planted a plant and then dug the <laughs> out around around the base of it to make a little moat and poured the water in there and we got a shot of this little boy taking the water out of the of, of the moat with his fingers cupping it up and putting it on the leaves so that he was helping to water the plant <laughs> yeah <laughs> something we have to uh, we have to mention and that's the music for the film just tell us a, a little bit because I, I, I think uh, and we're going to play it as the outro to the show but I believe the um, the songwriter and the singer of some of the music um, has links to the community garden as well. So just share with us, George, isn't it, I think, that uh, George Ulrich? Yes. George Ulrich is the name of the song composer and performer of almost all the music in the film. And it was a wonderful synchronicity. We have a friend of ours who lives over in, the, in that part of town, and she's a piano player. And we asked her if she might want to do or knew of someone who could do music for the film. And we sat down with the film and showed it to her and she says, oh, no, piano's not right. Let me think about it. And she calls us up the next day and says, oh, my goodness, I heard this, this fellow play the guitar, and his name is George Ulrich. And it turned out that George, who is a local ophthalmologist in town, has his own band that he plays uh, benefits for to raise money for uh, people needing expensive eye care that they can't uh, pay for. And so he's recruited all of the other healthcare workers in the eye care field to do a big benefit concert once a year. But his wife had a plot at the community garden the year before we started filming. And I, I think he might have worked in there a little bit. But he volunteered to provide music for the film. And then he wrote and composed all the music in the film. And it was... So we asked George to come over to uh, bring his guitar and sit in our living room, and we showed the the film in a pretty much complete version to him. And he just started uh, creating these songs, and one of them, um, and, and, and well, we actually had him come a second time for a recording session. 
where we had one in our uh, living room and another one at the local library that has a audio video set up. But we were late night, and we, it was 10 p.m., and we had done all the songs that we wanted to do with uh, uh, our vegetables and everything. He says, I've got one more song here. <laughs> and he rips off this song about spinach and cabbage yeah. and broccoli, broccoli, broccoli. and <laughs> garden experience today yeah. and so we right you know instantly we knew what the name of the new of the film had to be which was garden yes. experience yeah and so that's the um musically the the high point of the film and and he just donated uh separate yeah. And and we have heard uh, some of the gardeners tell us that their children turn on the film just so they can sing broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say that not only did uh, George Ehrlich donate his time, but Nancy and John donated theirs to the garden. They made this film without any financial input from us at all. Yeah, which was so gratefully appreciated. Fantastic. And we just keep thanking them and thanking them. This was a gift to the garden from them yeah. and a wonderful, wonderful gift. So Garden Experience, that's the name of the film. And you can catch that on Amazon Prime here in the UK. Everybody listening, if you haven't already, you really must, must have a look at that film. Now you know so much about it, the people in it, the filmmakers, and of course, Karen as well. If they want to get it on Amazon, it's not just Prime. You get it on Prime for free. Yes. But if you're not a Prime member, you pay 99 cents. So I want right. to reiterate, right. Nancy and John are not making any money out of this film, one no, end no. or the other so far. <laughs> but that was not the intention. Yeah. Um, that yeah. We should also mention our, our website, www.bearcreekgardens, plural, Yep. G-A-R-D-E-N-S dot O-R-G. The thing that we haven't talked about is that this past summer was an extraordinarily different summer for us because of the COVID pandemic. Yeah. And we were late opening. The county wouldn't let us open until a stage of lockdown was lifted here in Colorado Springs in May. So we opened late and all of the gardeners were required to wear a mask at all times when yes. they were inside the garden fence. Um, they were asked in the beginning to wear gloves when they touched common elements like faucets and gates. Yeah. And they were also asked to maintain a 10-foot social distancing effort. We kind of figured that if we said, please stay 10 feet apart, they might stay 6 feet apart. Yes. Because they all love seeing each other after being away from each other all of winter. Course. Yeah. It went along pretty well. We had a few scoff laws, um, but most people were very serious about it and gradually everybody got on board. We had a few people with some health issues where they couldn't wear a mask every single minute, but they agreed that they would have it right around their neck and they'd pull it up if anybody approached them. I think we're going to have to do that again next year. But More than likely, COVID I think so, yeah. Some yeah. upsides and some downsides. So that was the downside. The yeah. upside was that more people who signed up for plots, first-year gardeners, made it all the way through the season and had a good experience because they loved coming out there. They're locked down at home. I, I don't know how many people thanked us for having a place where people could go where they felt safe. They made comments about being able to forget about all the things they're worried about. Yes. Uh, there was a family that had to have us hold their check because they were waiting for unemployment insurance to come in, their check for a plot. And um, I think we serve a whole range of economic levels 
people don't really know a lot out there about who's a doctor and who's a much more humble occupation because all the conversation is about gardening. Absolutely. So yeah. COVID has really, it has some silver linings. And it's something I keep saying. We did our orientation for new gardeners on Zoom. Yep. And it was wonderful. It was actually better than the orientations we normally do. Really? Um, because everybody joined in in a different way. We did it several times. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the so training for new gardeners uh, that, that you have, isn't it, at the beginning of the season? Right. Yeah. yeah. We, we, the, several board members do a presentation about what's called tips for success yes. at Bear Creek Garden. So the, the COVID has given us some, some positives as well. Yeah. And uh, we just hope that this year it won't be quite so intense and that we'll get back to something like normal relationships out there yeah. later in the summer. I hope so. That is about all we've got time for for this show. So please, everybody listening, check out Garden Experience. You can get it on Amazon Prime, whether you're members or you can just pay for view. Uh, and as Karen says, it's 99 cents or whatever it is. And it's absolutely worth an escape from everything that's going on for half an hour or so. It's a beautiful piece of work. So I've got to thank you so much, Karen, Nancy, and John. It's been an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm sure we're going to meet up next year to find out what you're doing, how you're doing it, what the weather's like over in Colorado Springs. You know we're mad on the weather here in the UK. And, um, and from Jake and myself and all our listeners, thank you for, uh, for taking the time out to, uh, to talk to us. You have yourself a great Christmas and a new year. And uh, most of all, keep yourselves and all your, uh, all your friends and colleagues safe over there. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Russell. Thank you. And Jake, I've got to say thanks again for the year, for joining me on the show. You have yourself a great Christmas and new year with your family as well. And you. Happy Christmas to everybody out there. Hope you have a, a wonderful Christmas and New Year and look forward to much more gardening in the future. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, on this show, we're going to leave you with this track that we've been talking about. It's called Garden Experience. It's composed and performed by George Ulrich. Thank you all for listening, all your support throughout the year. Keep safe, keep well, and let's hope for a better year next year. Take it away, George. Harmonious unity, organic community, garden experience today. Radishes, kohlrabi, green beans, and broccoli, garden experience today.